Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. Mark chapter 9. We're going to look in Mark chapter 9, and uh, we'll begin in verse 38. Um, before we get into this, you've got to remind yourself where we've been in Mark chapter 9 in particular. Um, remember, it starts at the chapter, start of the chapter, Jesus is about up, he takes up three of his disciples up on this mountain, and it's called the Mount of Transfiguration. They get to see Jesus for who he really is. An amazing uh, a revelation, revealing, unveiling of who Jesus is. It's an amazing time, and then when they come down from that mountain, <laughs> the real world hits them, and there's a little boy there that has been possessed by a demon, and of course, Jesus does what he does. He takes over and he fixes it. It's wonderful. But his disciples, the ones that were left behind in particular, they, they get a little irritated by this. And, and I understand them. I would be too. I'd, be, I'd feel like they do. But Jesus, I, I wanted to help. <laughs> I wanted to help. I couldn't do it. If you go to chapter 9, I think it's verse 28, they say, well, why couldn't we cast this little demon out? Why, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus tells them, he says, this kind, in verse 29, he says, this, this kind of thing only can be fixed by prayer and fasting. He talks about that. So and after that, he's trying to teach his, his, his disciples, these men that are following him, listen, men, if you're going to follow me, there's some things that you need to understand what that looks like. This is what discipleship really looks like. And he's been teaching them all along here. And in verse 38... John pipes in. Now John, we've got to remember John was one of the guys, he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. I don't want to put words in his mouth or even thoughts in your head about him, but I'll just tell you, I, I kind of imagine that at this moment in time, him, Peter, and James have got to be, got the biggest heads. We got to go up on the mountain with Jesus, okay? So he's sitting here saying something in response to, because in verse 37, Jesus said, listen, you're going to, if you receive these children, you're not only receiving little ones, you're receiving me, and if you're receiving me, you're receiving the Father. He's saying, listen, you want to be on board with me? You better, you better love people. You better help people. So John, he pipes in in verse 38, and I want you to read this with me. He says, and John answer, him, answered him saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followed uh, not us, and we forbade him, because he followeth not us. John says, Jesus, hey, listen, you, you'll be proud of me. I stopped this guy over here. He was doing some miracles. He said he was in your name, but he, he wasn't with us. We're on your side, Jesus. We're, we're working for you. We're trying to stop this guy. But Jesus rebukes John in verse 39. Jesus said, forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do miracles in my name, that can lightly speak evil of me, for he that is not against us is on our part. He says, John, you're missing something, man. You missed it. You missed it. Do you, do you, do you all want to see what this guy, did you all pay attention? What is this guy doing that the disciples couldn't do? He was actually performing miracles. Things were being done. Now, they were being done in Jesus' name, 
but they were getting things done. The disciples, verse 28, why can't we do it, Jesus? What is this man doing? He's going out in Jesus' name and actually getting the work done. He's doing this. And here's the problem. John is defining discipleship by the click he runs with. He's defining discipleship by, these are my boys, and we're going to be doing this thing because we're brothers, we're friends, we're on the same team. He's not defining discipleship by the master that he follows. Please understand, as I talk about this, I love y'all, I'm with y'all, but Jesus has got more sheep than y'all. Jesus even says in John chapter 10, verse 16, and other sheep have, I have, he says that, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Because the point is not the fold, the point is the shepherd. He's the one that we're following after. So the solution here, the problem is that John's defining discipleship by the click he runs with, not by the master he follows. The solution is, as a disciple, we need to evaluate our relationship with the master and not just by the company that we keep. Now don't get me wrong, who you run with can tell a lot about you. I understand that. But that is, as we're talking about following Jesus, that is not the def definition of whether or not you're following Jesus, the power that you have in following him. That is not where it is. So we have to stop defining true discipleship by how close you are to your people, whatever that is. And in this world that we live in, your people is getting defined all kinds of ways. We tend to define it because we're sitting in a Baptist church. Our people are Baptist. But... There's all kinds of other ways people are trying to define it and are trying to pull you into their definition. Republicans, right-wing, liberal, progressive. I mean, there's all kinds of ways people are trying to paint you and you're trying to, they're trying to get you to identify with them. So we need to stop defining that we're right because we are in that group. Whatever that group happens to be, you need to start defining your discipleship by your proximity to the master how close are you to jesus he is the arbiter of discipleship not some political party not some movement not some denomination those are not the things that define discipleship true disciples need to be close to the master true disciples need to have and these are the three points i want to talk to you about from this passage we need to have the master's power we need to have praise for the master and we need to be propelled by the master have him as our motivation all of that coming from the master before i go any further i just want to stop and ask the lord to take this thought that i want to give to you and uh, help you understand it and apply it to your heart would you pray with me lord i need your help this morning there are some people that are listening here in this sanctuary that um, I don't want to confuse. These are your little ones. I do not want to be a stumbling block to them, but Lord, I want to help them. And I pray that you will allow me to do that through the clear presentation of your scripture. There are some that are on the live stream this morning because they're not able to join with us for one reason or another, that they're actually joining in this service in this way. I pray that this will be a help to them. But Lord, I pray that even though we are 
distant from each other physically, that they can get the help both from the words that are said, but even reaching out and talking to folks that are here and getting the help that they need. Lord, I pray that every person that listens to this can hear that your word for your people at this time and get the help they need. Please help us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Begin with knowing that we need to get the right source of the work. If you go back to verse 39, uh, Jesus says, listen, don't, don't forbid this guy, because no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can speak lightly, lightly speak evil of me. He says, this man is doing these miracles in my name. So essentially what I want you to see here is if you want to do the work of God, you want to be a disciple of God, it is going to require the power of God. You can't do that in your own power. And Jesus set a precedent in this passage in verse 29. If we're going to do miracles, whether it's demon exorcism or whatever else we're talking about, if we're going to perform miracles, go to verse 29 with me. 29, chapter 9, verse 29. Here's what Jesus says. This is the, this is the precedent that he said. This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. He says there's two things that's got to be done if you want to perform the work of God, if you want to see God work a miracle, if you want to be on the front lines, there's two things that's got to be done. First, you're going to have to seek God's help. You're going to have to pray. I will dare say that this, if we, if we stop right here, we would probably all could go to the house because none of us are doing that like we need to. I mean, don't even add fasting into this thing. Let's just talk about are we even asking God for the help that we need? I mean, I'm not even talking about even earnest prayer. I'm just literally saying, are we even lifting a prayer to say, God, I need some help in this situation? And he says, if you want my power, you're not going to get it by just rolling out of bed in the morning and eating your, your, your cornflakes and then deciding to go about your day. That's not going the way this is going to happen. You're going to get the power of God by first asking for it, seeking for God's help. There's got to be prayer. He says also in verse 29, he says, by prayer and fasting. Fasting, while certainly does connote or denote, excuse me, uh, absolutely pre uh, uh, pre uh, preventing yourself from eating, not eating for a period of time. That's what he's talking about. But the principle of fasting really is this idea that you are leaning wholly and completely on God for the power. Saying, Lord, I will not be satisfied, my belly will not be full with anything other than your power on my life. That's the principle that's in view here. So we need to seek God's power, seek his help, and then lean on him for the answer. Again, I will tell you that even if some of us are praying, and we do a lot of praying, we do some praying every now and again, we'll lift up a prayer, but then when we get done praying, then we go about our business, and we, we try to figure it out on our own. And I want to tell you right now, you've got to stop that. If you want to see God's power in your life, you are going to have to ask him for help, and then you're going to have to actually live a life that says, Lord, if you don't fix this, it's not getting fixed. If you don't change the circumstance, it's not going to change. And if you choose not to change it, I'm going to be okay with that because, Lord, I want your way, not my way. This is the kind of attitudes that we're going to have to take on if we're going to see God's power at work in our life. That was missing from the disciples. They even admitted as much. Verse 28, they said, why couldn't we get, him out, get this demon out? Why couldn't we cast him out? Why couldn't we fix it? And he said, listen, the reason is because you're not asking me for help and you're not leaning on my power. That's why you couldn't do it. However, if we go back to verse 38, what does John readily admit? 
We saw one casting out devils in thy name. Here's a man that is accomplishing the exact work they wanted to accomplish. They were, he was doing it in the name of God. He is doing miracles. And even Jesus says, listen, he's doing miracles in my name. Here's a man who has asked for my help. Here's a man who's leaning on my power. He is accomplishing the work. Don't stop him from doing his work. Get out of his way. Quit stopping him from doing his work. Here's the problem, Christians. Here's the problem, McConnell Road Baptist Church. We are so concerned with our feelings, our traditions, that we don't even miss when we don't have God's power. And in fact, we kind of get, get a little miffed because somebody over there is doing something that we couldn't be doing. We're not fasting and praying. We're not seeking God's help. We're not leaning on His power. You know what we want instead? We'd much rather, we'd be much more happy with somebody whipping us into a spiritual frenzy. Somebody getting up here and, and a much better speaker than I am, talking in, in excited tones to get us all whipped up, or a great singer who just hits those right notes. We'd, we'd much more be happy with that, missing the fact that God's power is not dependent on human perfection in fact it's actually kind of dependent on human weakness human failure human human faults that's what his power is dependent on we don't need that we don't need anybody to come in here and say let me suit your fancy we all are looking for what we want aren't we that's the kind of society we live in we're told turn on the television you deserve it it's all about you what do you want how can i help you how can i fix you what can i do for you what is it your particular need and we have to say it's not about that anymore i'm a christian i'm following jesus we want people to be part of our spiritual tribe it's always a joke and i and i appreciate the 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 humor of it because i'm I'm kind of have a silly sense of humor like that. I like the you know the joke about you know the jokes about the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the Lutherans and the Baptists you know kind of beating each other to lunch and all that kind of foolishness. I, I appreciate that. I do. I really do. But at the end of the day, it's not which particular stripe that you associate yourself with. Again, if I was if I thought something else was right, I'd be something else. So don't 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 get too scared on me. I'm Baptist because I think that's the right way to be. Do understand that. But you know who's going to go to heaven? It is not going to be about your denominational affiliation. The people that are going to go to heaven are those that are followers of Jesus Christ. The people that are going to accomplish things in this world, there are men, there are women in this world who are accomplishing things for the cause of Christ that yeah, they might have a different label on them, but they follow the same master. They have the power of God. And we can sit here back as much as we want to, and we do. Don't have to give you permission because we do this. We can snipe about them all day long. But you know what's happening? They're performing the miracles of God, and you and I are sitting back in the cheap seat saying, we could do that. No, you can't do that because you're not asking for God's power. You're not leaning on his power. So here we have God at work somewhere else using somebody else. And you know what we do? Well, they're not on our team. Somebody needs to shut them down. I can't associate with that. The world's wrong with them people. But you're missing it. If you're not on their team and they truly are performing miracles in the name of Jesus, you're on the wrong team. Nothing wrong with them. You're on the wrong team. 
Do you understand that? If your team is primarily whatever your tradition happens to be, if it's a religious tradition, if it is a political tradition, if it's just a family tradition, whatever it is, if that's who you identify with and that does not have the power of God because it does not lean on God, it does not look to God for the answers, you're on the wrong team. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though no one join me, still I will follow. Because what we have to go after is not the crowd, not the brand name, not what we have been taught. Again, maybe some of y'all haven't, but I've been taught it since down here. We got to stop that. That's not how Jesus works. In fact, if you look at Jesus in the Gospels, you know what he does? He comes in to the people that are the most entrenched in their religion. And they're good people, morally speaking, good people. Do you know what he does to them? He says, Y'all need to forget all that because I'm here now. I'm the one that this is all about. And I would say, as my daddy would say, some people, some of these people, and I hope this is not true of you, but some of these people wouldn't know God if they met him in the road. And you have to understand, this is not about, I, I'm, I don't want this to come across disrespectful, because I do, I respect the traditions and the history of this particular church. But I think I can speak for the men who went, came before me, and I would tell you, it is not about any one of those names of those men that are on that wall. I think they would say the same thing. I don't think I'm saying anything they wouldn't say. It's not about what one man did or one man didn't do or what this one thought and what that one thought. That is not, you are not saved by your past. In fact, you are saved from your past. You are not saved by your past. You are saved by the master who you need to be following. So if you're going to have power in the work, you've got to look to the master, not to your traditions, not to, not to your little crew, not to your background. You need to be looking to the master. Jesus also makes this point, if you go back to verse 39, he says there that, that if he's doing a miracle in my name, he says, that man cannot lightly speak evil of me. He's saying there that, that a person who's doing work in the name of Jesus, if they're truly doing work in the name of Jesus, I'm not talking about just throwing his name around and using God's name in vain. I'm talking about actually doing work in God's name and actually doing it for that reason. He's not going to be doing anything but praising God as he does the work. He's literally going to say, that was, a, that was a miracle that occurred, and he's going to say, that was God that did that. God did an amazing thing. That's what he's going to do. That's what Jesus is saying there. The question is, if someone is quick to speak evil, he says there that he, is, he, says he cannot lightly speak evil of me. That's the idea that he could just do it kind of off the cuff and no big deal, no problem, just no problem. So if someone's quick and easy to speak evil of God, he's not serving in the name of Jesus. I would also go further to say that if someone is slow to praise God, it takes a little like pulling teeth to get some praise out of them. They're not really serving in the name of Jesus. The, the, the way that Jesus puts it in verse 40, he says, listen, for he, is, he that is not against us is on our part. Now, I want to make sure you get this for both angles because Jesus says it both ways. In this passage, he says, listen, if he's not against us, he's for us. But over in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 30, he says, if he's not for us, he's against us. 
I want you to understand, he says it both ways, because you've got to think about this both ways. At the end of it all, you've got to pick a side. This is the point. You've got to pick a side. You can't serve God and mammon, Matthew 6, 24. See, what happens is we say we're serving God. We're doing work in God's name. We're putting money in the offering plate in God's name. We're worshiping in God's name. We're helping people in God's name. We're sharing with people in God's name. But then what do we do? Hallelujah, we got more money. We're so excited. Our 401k went up. We're so happy because the stock market's doing good. We're really, really in good place because business is doing, it's booming. Who are you praising? I'm not suggesting that you can't be happy when you get good things happen to you. I'm suggesting there's a difference in how you praise and what you're praising. Are you praising the thing or are you praising the God who gave you the thing? And I think if we're honest, and you can can argue with me all you want. I don't know your heart, so y'all got to talk amongst yourselves on this one. If your heart is in a position that says, I'm more interested in my stuff, who are you worshiping? God or mammon? God? or stuff. God or finances. Which one is it? You can't be one who out of the same mouth has blessings and cursings. James 3 verse 9. You can't with the same mouth bless God and curse man, he says, who is made in the similitude of God. You can't do that. That's not the way this thing works. You've got to pick a side. You can't be both for Jesus in one setting and against him in another. (laughs) Straddling the fence doesn't work. It causes damage. If you've ever been a fence straddler, you know what I'm talking about. It'll hurt you in a real way. And even if it doesn't hurt you, it's going to slow your progress down. I can walk better on level ground than I can trying to straddle a fence all day long. Straddling the fence will not do anything but draw you back, hurt you, prevent you. See, the problem is, I'm still, as a Christian, as a disciple, too many of you are much more concerned about whether you get your way and you get what you want more than whether God is truly honored and God is truly praised. I will say this very plainly. I don't believe you can serve God as you should with a filthy mouth. Whether we're talking about specific words that you ought not be using, whether you're talking about using our Lord's name in vain, whether we're talking about conversations that should not be participated in, the word tearing other people down, the words you use in your mouth, you cannot say those things and tell me in good conscience you're truly serving God because he says there, you got to pick a side. You're in or you're out. You're for him or you're against him. Pick a side. I don't believe that we can go around flaunting our liberties. We, this is our spiritual way of saying we can do what we want to do. Hey, I can do what I want to do. Flaunting our liberties without regard without concern that there are brothers and sisters who are hurt by the thing that you're flaunting. In a church like this, I think the biggest danger that a lot of times we can have, especially based on our tradition, what we've been through, the kinds of pastors that have been here in the past, the doctrine is sound. The doctrine is solid. 
preaching the word. <clears throat> but we can have some of the stinkingest attitudes. We can be the meanest people. Those kind of people, what we call fundamentalists. I'm one of them, by the way, if y'all want to take that any way you want to, but I'm a fundamentalist. And we have the rottenest attitudes. We have the worst attitudes. Pick a side. Either your doctrine's right and you're serving God and therefore your attitude is right, or you might as well go ahead and say, I don't believe anything I say I believe because your attitude's showing a different story. The way we treat people, the way we talk to people, the attitudes we have towards people. And yes, I am talking about racism, but I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about the way that we treat people who we call our brothers and sisters. Some of the things we say to people in the name of good politics, in the name of, uh, of good religion, we can be so ugly. I can th I'm thinking of one now, I'm not going to name his name, but I'm thinking about a, 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 a Christian um, a broadcaster who gets on there and on the internet and he does his little show and a lot of things he has to say are good, but he is the most hateful human being that I've ever listened to. I can't listen to him for more than five or ten minutes because he is so hateful as a person. That is saying you are not picking a side. We are praising God, yet we're cursing our brother. With their lips, they do honor me, but have removed their heart from me. You can't rejoice in Jesus in your words and in your heart. You're the problem, not other people. But he goes on in verse 41 and he says, Whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. He's saying, it's important what you do, so don't get that wrong. We need to do the right things. Right is right and right is right all the time. But why you do it is not unimportant either. He gives the example of giving water. And by the way, giving of water is intentionally a small, simple, basic kind of, and even in this culture particularly, it would have been an expected. If I were to come to your house, or by your tent, I guess, <laughs> however you want to look at it, but if I were to come to your house in this culture, you would have probably pulled out not just a cup of water for me. You would have probably fixed tea. You'd have probably, I mean, you'd have, you'd have pulled, you'd probably fixed me a, a, a light meal. I mean, we would have... I would, have I would just come in, I'm just saying hey to you, but you would have come out and pulled out all the stops, because that's, that that's Middle Eastern hospitality. We're going to do everything for you. So this idea of giving a cup of water, that's like the least you could possibly do for anybody. So to give you a cup of water is not a big thing. He's saying that simple, expected, small act of hospitality, he says it's, it's not a big deal, but he says there, if somebody gives that to you in my name, because you belong to Christ. He says, if they're doing it in my name, for Christ's sake, that becomes the highest honor, the most valuable thing you could possibly do. He's saying, <laughs> I don't think we sing this song here. We might need to add this one to the repertoire. Little is much when God is in it. Do you know that song? Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. Anyway, that's the idea. That's the idea. Little is much when God is in it. When he is in the heart of it, it is much more valuable. See, I think what we, happen to, what we happen to have here is we have people who, they do the work of God. 
They're in the work, they're doing the thing, but they're, like I said, their, their attitudes are twisted. Why they're doing it's messed up. In fact, sometimes we're more concerned with, and maybe I'm just I'm explaining to you my own faults when I say this, but sometimes we're more concerned with the impact of what we do than we do on the purpose of what we do. Oh, it's just a cup of water. It's not a big, I've got to do something big. No, no, no. Jesus said, if you'll just do the smallest thing in his name, he'll take care of the rest. See, I think sometimes some of y'all are sitting back and not following Jesus the way you should because you say, well, nobody appreciates it. Nobody's noticing it. That, that person, that they don't deserve my help. They're, 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 they're not really deserving. Or, like I said, if you can't do it big, I don't want to do it at all. I want to do a big, I want to do a real big thing. Well, or this is a good one because we're in a Baptist church. This is the way this one comes up. Well, they're not, they're not a member of the church, so we, we can't do anything for them. Or, or, here's another one. I don't agree with their lifestyle. I can think of a particular example right now in my mind, a, a situation that I'm aware of. I don't think anybody you would all know, but it's a young man who's in the hospital, and he's in real bad condition right now. Real, real bad. He's, he's, he's not good. And he won't talk to his family in any way because he believes, whether he's right or wrong, I'm not saying he is or right, I'm saying he won't even talk to him because he believes that they have rejected him because of choices in his life that he's made. Not necessarily, in fact, they're bad choices he's made, to be fair, but that's too common, isn't it? That there are people who have chosen certain lifestyles that we'll disagree with, absolutely. Well, I can show you from the Bible where it's wrong. But aren't you glad that Jesus didn't show you from the Bible where you were wrong and say, forget you, I'm done with you? Aren't you glad? See, we're missing the point of discipleship. Remember when I told you this is all about discipleship? We want to be disciples of Jesus. The point of discipleship is not to say, let me go and find the best people in the world who meet the highest moral standards and rub elbows with them and be shoulder to shoulder with them and walk around with them like we're some kind of uh, uh, <laughs> fundamentalist gang. And we're going to make sure everybody knows how right we are and how good we are. You know what that looks like? You can go to the Gospels and see every, every page, almost every page has those guys in it. They're called Pharisees. And Jesus was not friends of the Pharisees. <laughs> We've missed the point of discipleship. You've got to be motivated not by the impact or what people are thinking about what you do, but you need to be motivated by Jesus in all that you do. He's the master. He's the one you're following. So you're going to show your love in big ways and little ways. You're going to show it in ways that people appreciate. Sometimes somebody's going to come up to you and say, thank you, brother, appreciate you doing that. And you're going to say, no problem, glad to do it. It's my job. It's what I do. I'm your brother. It's what I do. And sometimes you're going to get nobody even noticing you did it. You're going to show up and nobody else is going to be there. You're going to, you're going to show the love of Christ to Christians that sit on the pews right beside you or just in front of you or just behind you. You're going to show your love to Christians, people that you call up and say, hey, brother, sister, friend. But you're also going to show your, your love to people that you know because of their life, because of their own admission they're not Christians. And there's no, as far as you're concerned, from a human perspective, there's not even hope. They, they don't even want you to talk about Jesus. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to still show the love of Jesus to those people. You're going to show your love to, to Baptist. 
independent and southern, and the northern Baptists too while we're at it, and the missionary Baptists, I could go on. And we're, we got, we're so splintered, it's so ridiculous how splintered we are. But we're going, to, we're going to show the love of Christ to Methodists and Catholics and the liberal kind and the conservative kind. We're going to do it to all of them. We're going to show the love of Christ to alcoholics. We're going to show the love of Christ to homosexuals. We're going to show the love of Christ to conservatives. We're going to show the love of Christ to liberals. We're going to show the love of Christ to hateful people. We're going to show the love of Christ to that person that didn't like your political opinion that you posted on the internet. You're going to show the love of Christ to those people that don't vote like you do. You're going to show the love of Christ to that member of McConnell Road Baptist Church that the last time y'all spoke, it wasn't a good conversation. You're going to show the love of Christ to those people that you live with and you work with, those people that are next door to you, those people that are across the street from you. You're going to show the love of Christ to that son or daughter where there's a tough relationship there. And it might be your fault or it might be theirs, but you're going to show the love of Christ to them anyway. That's what disciples of Jesus do. Not because they think that's going to change the world, but because they're following the master and the master said do it. That's why they're going to do it. I just want to make sure you're warned, fair warning. I'm not telling you to do that because it's going to change everybody's heart and mind. In fact, there are going to be some people who harden in their position against you. There are some people who will, when they see that, see it as weakness. There's some people, when they see that in you, say, well, that's an idiot. Why in the world are they doing that? There's some people that will despitefully use you when you do that. But you're not doing it to change their hearts. You're not doing it for them, and you're definitely not doing it because you're so loving, because you're not. You're doing it because the love of Christ was spread abroad, shed abroad in your heart, Romans 5, 5. You're doing it because you're just channeling on the love that God's given to you. I'm preaching this to you because I think that this church wants to be followers of Jesus. I think you do. I, 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 I've gotten to know most of you. In fact, all of you. We've got a few folks visiting with this morning, but everybody without exception, I've, I've gotten to know you pretty well, I feel like, at least as well, as well as we might get to know each other in three years, two and a half years. And, and I think you have a heart to want to follow Jesus. And I just want to remind you, if you have not yet actually started following Jesus, if you've not answered his call, I want to invite you to follow him today. It's not enough just to have a desire, well, I'd like to, I think to. I want you to go ahead and get in line behind him. Come on and get in line behind him. Uh, invite him into your life today to empower your actions, to take over your heart and your mouth to motivate every step that you take. There are some great benefits. Y'all know, know the sales pitch, you get to go to heaven, don't go to hell, those kind of things, those are great benefits. But here's the best one. If you'll follow Jesus, you actually get to know the God of the universe. You get to know him forever and ever. Now you may say, well, that don't sound like much. Well, I want you to fast, or excuse me, rewind your mind back to when you were in young love and if somebody told you if you would just do this thing whatever that was you could be with that one that you love forever some of y'all are so old you don't even know what I'm talking about <laughs> that or so hard-hearted I don't know which one it is 
I'm looking at you. That or you just want to go home. I don't know which one. I should be done. I'm just trying to remind you that if you love him, you're going to want to be with him. You're going to want to know him. But he will change your life. If you already have followed after him, you are a follower of Jesus. I want you to remind, I want to remind you of what it means to be a disciple. It's not the sign in the front of the church. It's not a bumper sticker on your car. It's not a post on the internet. It is signing up to follow the master, signing up to learn from the teacher, to let him empower your actions, to let him take over your heart and your mouth, to let him motivate your actions. Will you be a follower of Jesus? Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.